Yeah, if you look at the the techniques that I train people in in uh, from my book Winning Body Language, there and you look at some heads of state, you'll yeah. go, oh yeah, one of Marks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Money Mostly Canadian Podcast with your host, Freet Banerjee. Welcome back to Mostly Money. I'm your host, Preet Banerjee, and you'll probably have noticed that this voice sounds a little bit different compared to normal. I uh, I don't know what to tell you. My voice is worse, and we're just going to roll with it. Uh, however, on the show today, I have someone that many people consider to be the top body language expert in the world, Mark Bowden. An expert in human behavior and body language, he's the creator of Truthplane, which is a communication training company, and it's also a unique methodology for anyone who has to communicate with impact to an audience. He's also an incredibly sought-after keynote speaker. He also provides training seminars to teach audiences around the world how to use the most influential verbal and nonverbal language to stand out, win trust, and gain credibility every time they speak. I've got Mark here today to talk about his new book, co-authored with Tracy Thompson, called Truth and Lies, What People Are Really Thinking. Mark, welcome to the show. Preet, thank you for having me. When do we start the drinking? Oh, right. Yeah. So we should explain. So um, I know many of the listeners who write in now, mostly, you know, in the past, they used to talk about, oh, your guest, your guest was good. The content was great. But now predominantly the emails are, you know, I love the commentary on the whiskey. I love hearing you get drunk. Right. I love seeing which choices <laughs> you've made. And Mark is a whiskey fan. I'm an absolute fan. I'm an ex-member of the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society. Oh, excellent. Yeah. I don't know how you get to be an ex-member. I wasn't kind of excommunicated. I just <laughs> stopped going and paying. Right. Uh, but yeah, I used to spend uh, many a day in the, in the clubhouse there. Uh, in in uh, Bleeding Heart Lane in the city of London, uh, drinking single-barreled Scotch malt right. whiskey. Oh, you know, so I'm uh, so jealous. There were some extraordinary whiskeys, but I'm really happy to be <laughs> n- s- sitting right next to your whiskey cabinet, which is quite extraordinary. Yeah, so we took some time uh, picking out the four different yeah. bottles that we're going to try yeah, yeah, yeah. during this podcast. Yeah. And I don't know about Mark, but I haven't eaten a lot today. I am <laughs> no. definitely going to be slurring by the end of this a, podcast. I had a salad, which won't <laughs> will not sop salad any of and this whiskey. Up. Salad and whiskey. It's a great combination. Oh boy. <laughs> We'll never get drunk this is gonna make on for salad a great and night. whiskey. This is going to make for a great <laughs> night. Okay, so let's talk quickly about the four choices that yes, you made. Yes. So the first one you picked was a Yamazaki, so it's Japanese whiskey, yeah. and that's the distiller's edition, I think. I think so. Yeah. 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 Um, and then the second bottle, um, you went down to the bottom shelf. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you picked the Crown Royal Northern Harvest Rye, which was... Voted the world's number one whiskey it in was. 2015? Yeah, 2016. a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah, maybe three years ago. Yeah, it, well, it was. It was voted the world's number one whiskey. Now, does it deserve 
That we shall find we shall out. Find out. I don't know if I, I think gave I a already hint. know. I don't know if I gave a hint by mentioning that was on the bottom <laughs> it shelf. Was right on the bottom shelf. Hang on though, it was front of the bottom shelf though. Yeah, but it look at the bottles behind I it. I know, I know those bottles. Those, <laughs> those, are, the, those are the bottles that I use for cooking. Right. That's cooking whiskey, as far as I'm concerned. It was front of the cooking whiskey. Right. But we gotta we gotta have contrast. We've gotta yeah. we've gotta put things in in full perspective. Yeah. And yeah. you know there are a lot of people who do think it's a fantastic. <laughs> Best whiskey they've ever had. Right. And maybe if you're more into rye, that may actually be true. I, we don't want to put down rye drinkers. No. But I, we, we have no idea what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or why or why anybody would pick this. Just right. up front. It'll yeah. be the second whiskey we have. And and I think it'll be over with pretty quickly. They were pretty but, light pours. They're pretty light. <laughs> yeah, you did not pour a lot of that one. <laughs> um, the third bottle we have is the Balvenie Ton 1509. Mm. And so I think this one was new to you because this is uh, one of those airport travelers exclusives. Right. And this one, the story behind this one is the distiller, the master blender there, uh, David Stewart, basically pulled from 23 different casks to assemble this particular flavor profile. And it's the Balvenie Ton 1509. And then the last bottle, it was very interesting that you gravitated towards that one um, right off the bat. Um, And that's the Berry Brothers, uh, Berries. um, Yeah. Uh, so this bottle here um, needs a little bit of a description because it is, um, no one actually knows what's in there except for the bottler. No, it's, <laughs> right. it's a custom bottling for right. the Kensington Wine Market in Calgary. And I was on my way there. I think I might have actually told this story on the podcast before, but I was on my way there. I tweeted about it. And a friend of mine who is a big deal in the whiskey world, she said, my boy's coming to your store. Take care of him. So I walk in and they took care of me. Nice. Uh, They let me sample anything in the store because they have an open bottle for like 70% of whatever you see on the shelf. And they've got a fantastic selection. So anyways, um, after getting completely hammered, they said, listen, you can't leave until you try this bottle here. So what this bottle is, it's custom bottling um, by Barry's Brothers in um, Scotland. Um, and they, again, they don't know what's in there, but the youngest spirit in there is 40 years old. Yeah. So it's a blend, but the youngest spirit in there is 40 years. And that is the fourth whiskey. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to getting past the Crown Royal <laughs> winter <laughs> harvest yeah. and I'm moving towards that one at the end. Right, yeah. <laughs> And, uh, you know, if my voice gives out, you're going to have to drink and do the podcast on your right. own while I just drink and uh, say nothing. I, I, can, I can manage. I can manage. <laughs> okay. So here's, um, here's how this works. And, and feel free to, to start drinking. Oh, yeah. Um, okay, and good. periodically during the podcast, we'll check in. We'll see how these particular... <laughs> we'll check in see if we're both conscious. Right. <laughs> pray, pray. Are you alive, mate? Are you alive? Um, okay. So um, the first thing we do on this podcast is we talk a little bit about your career um, and how that led you down your chosen field. Um, so I guess the first thing is, you know, how was the first sip? And then tell yeah. us, you know, from yeah. school, how did you track from, uh, you know, what you studied in, say, undergrad to where you are today to becoming this internationally recognized top body language expert in the world? Good. So let's start with the whiskey. The, <laughs> uh, the Yamazaki is, is, what I'm interested in is it, it has quite a bitterness to me. There's a real kind of bitterness on the on the edges mm-hmm. of yep. it, which I find quite interesting because I quite like that bitterness in some bourbons. Okay, yeah. So, right. uh, so I would say, yeah, I like it. Yeah, like it's dry. It's very dry. Yeah, yeah, it it's is very dry. Not a lot of sweetness there at all. Very dry. I like the bitterness on the edge. Anyway, 
How did I get involved? What, what, what do you think? I'm going straight into my bit and going like, come on, what do you um, think of that whiskey? It's very, uh, it's very unique. It has um, yeah, some some fruit in there, like a little bit of like dried fruit uh, as yeah, well. Yeah, but yeah, the bitterness as well. It's an interesting contrast. So, um, you know, a lot of people that come over and try the Yamazaki absolutely love it. So I'm glad to see that. Yeah, the it opens up a lot with the water. Yeah, still dry though. Yeah. Still dry. Anyway, how did I get into this? I was obsessed as a kid with. Um, with behavior, animal behavior, uh, marine life behavior. I was a big rock pooler as a kid. You know, okay. when you the tide goes out and and sea life gets left in there. Oh, okay. uh, yeah, and you want to, and you're like, like, why does a starfish move like that? And, you know, how come a sea snail performs in that manner? And then as I got older, uh, I got really interested in human behavior just because as you get older, I was thinking, well, why did that person perform like that? Why do they do that? Why... Why do I seem to have no control of people? Right. Why do I sometimes have no control of myself? Yeah. So I got really kind of interested in the influence and persuasion and and, and control of other human beings. Uh, then I got really interested in, oh, I already, already uh, you know, always had a, uh, an interest in visual art and especially how you how you tell stories with moving pictures, mm-hmm. um, animation, uh, puppetry, you know, how... How is it that Jim Henson can put a sock on his hand and convince you that it's an animal and also an animal that has feelings just like you? Right. I was astonished by that kind of thing. And this culminated for me in getting really uh, specific around influence and persuasion using nonverbal behavior, what many people would call... But yeah, you just, <laughs> what you didn't see there is... Preet pre just nosed the, the Crown Royal. <laughs> what did my body the, Well, and actually <clears throat> gave the micro gesture of disgust. <clears throat> it's interesting, that micro gesture of, 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 of disgust. Disgust is, you know, Latin for, for disgustry, to, to push out of your stomach. Oh, really? It's literally vomit, oh. you know. Uh, and, and it's designed not only that we can show disgust to food sources, but also people. Right. It's like, you know, you see somebody in the street and you signal to your friend, disgust, <laughs> because you're basically saying they are poison. Right. They're poisonous. Anyway, that's how, that's how you mix body language with whiskey. This is fascinating. Beautiful. I love it. So, so uh, you know, fascinated with how you tell stories with pictures, influence and persuasion, got really niched in body language and just read and studied and, and more than anybody else I knew. Right. Uh, and then started coming up with my own models around around why people behave as they behave and what can, we can detect from other people's behaviours and, and most importantly how we can influence and persuade others using our own behaviour. Right. Okay. Yeah. And you also you teach um, in a number of uh, programs. Uh, I think an MBA program yeah. you teach. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you teach at U of T as well. Yeah. So so I teach at uh, Schulich School of Business. Yeah. Uh, and a number of other McGill and uh, UFT, a whole bunch of places. Right. And yeah, it, it's it's again, how do you influence and persuade people with the stories that you tell? But for me, it's what's most important is. The the stuff you put around the story, the framing of okay. it, simply because we make most of our judgments about what something is going to be like 
by the frames that are put round those okay. things. So uh, you'll be judging me and my content mainly on my tone of voice right. and my your my perceived intelligence right. around this, rather than my actual intelligence. Is there something it. weird about having a body language expert on a podcast? <laughs> I do them a lot, so it's now ubiquitous. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's, not like, it's not like the first time. But there is, yeah, I guess there is something weird because people think that um, nonverbal behavior is simply body, but it's not. It's tone of voice as well. Right. It's the environment we put ourselves in. Mm-hmm. It's the context that we're in. Uh, timing, for example, is part of nonverbal uh, behavior. So often when I'm training people, it's not just about what gestures they might make. It's the context that they might be putting themselves in, the time at which they might do something. Right. You know, if they're, if, if meetings aren't going quite as they would plan them, instead of changing the format of the meetings or how they might perform in the meetings, sometimes you just go, well, don't do them in the afternoon. Like, obviously, everybody's <laughs> asleep. Right. Their, their body's trying to digest complex carbohydrates it produces leptin that causes them to go to sleep right you know or or don't switch the lights off you know for your for your powerpoint we're dineural mammals we'll just go to sleep right when you switch the lights off so some of it is about human behavior is that simple but it's so simple people often don't pay any attention to it so kind of building off of uh, sort of my flipping joke about, you know, having a body language mm. expert on an audio format mm-hmm. podcast, what's changed in the last decade plus is, you know, the idea of the real world and the online world. Yeah, sure. And younger people uh, spend a lot of time, uh, proportionally speaking, online, and they have these different lives online, these almost these personas that exist online. So what what has happened in the world of sort of body? Is is it the field of body language? Or is it, does it have a special name and for the experts out there? Um, how has that changed? How, um, you know, you talk about it, the advice you give to people, because people don't just make presentations in real life. A lot of things are done virtually. Sometimes it's just mm-hmm. audio format. So, is there still things to be learned about, you know, uh, body language when it comes to these different? Stay with us. We'll be right back. You hear a lot about supply chains these days, because if the past couple years have taught us anything, it's that an efficient, well-managed supply chain is absolutely critical to keeping businesses successful and consumers happy. I'm Will Haywood, and I host a podcast called All Business, No Boundaries, where we talk about supply chains, how they work, what happens when they don't, and the innovations that are redefining what's possible in the world of logistics. Join me for insightful interviews with thought leaders and industry experts. We discuss how optimizing supply chains can break down the barriers that are holding businesses back. That's All Business, No Boundaries by DHL Supply Chain. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Media? Oh yeah, for sure. So before I answer that, yeah, so we're going to move Crown now Royal. on to the Crown Royal. This okay. may be short-lived. <laughs> oh, my Lord. That is, that's just not as bad as I thought it was going to. Give it, it's not as bad as it. All right, I, gotta I, try. I haven't it had it in at least two years, I think. <laughs> no, thanks. 
I'm going to finish mine. <laughs> yeah, I'll probably finish it. But There you go. Yeah. You know what? I'll finish it because it's I know a, it's going to make number three taste it's, even it's, better. It's all right. It's not It's not as bad. It's. It's. I, I mean, know there's some people right now who are ripping their hair out and saying, <laughs> that's my favorite whiskey. Right. No, right? good. Good on them. That's fine. Good on them. I got no problem with that. You've got no problem with that. We've almost, you're, you're almost down to the last few dregs of that. So you won't have to suffer that one a, a lot. It's not longer. bad. It's not yeah, bad. Yeah. It's not, you know, it isn't bad. It yeah. Isn't I'm being bad. a bit of a snob It isn't here. bad. It isn't bad. It's also rye, you know, as opposed to yeah, barley. Yeah. yeah, actually it's a rye. It, it, it does, it does quite well. It's not too sweet. Yeah. It does okay. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So what's happened just recently in terms of, of us humans and nonverbal behavior, um, and human behavior in general is, is this idea of being able to curate your life in pictures right. has been democratized. Go back to the days of, uh, you know, go back in the day, you had to be royalty in order to have a portrait okay. of you. And when you had that portrait done, and it, and it might be sent all over the world, you were very clear about, here's how I want to look. It's very particular. Very particular, because there were certain signals that would let the people know you're looking at royalty right, right now. Uh, Napoleon, for example, he wasn't, um, he wasn't, he was a certain level of aristocracy. He wanted to portray himself always as a higher level of aristocracy. So he put his hand inside his jacket Mm -hmm. because that was a signal of a certain level of aristocracy in Europe. You'll notice Prince Charles of England does the same. His sons do the same as well to deliver that ongoing signal of when you see royalty you'll see somebody with half their hand missing uh, underneath <laughs> their jacket very odd anyway so all of that to say uh what what um the digital world has given us is you and i uh who are not you know to my knowledge born of any royalty have have the my mother is you, uh, actually a princess yeah. <laughs> that's what she tells me i don't know if that's true <laughs> I don't know if that's true, but um, she honestly, God tells me that. if she's listening, that she's probably going to call me right now and say, "I'm oh, a princess." Oh, she does that whole thing of like, "You are, you are born of royalty." You oh, are, yeah. oh yeah, okay. Oh yeah, she said, okay. "Your your grandfather's blood is purple." <laughs> okay. <laughs> Everybody's got those stories, right? She got stories about the fortunes that were lost and the the castles that you should have and. Oh, that oh yeah, stuff. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. There's the story about a tiger skeleton that exists in the in a castle that my uncle has turned oh, yeah. into a hotel. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know what? I have to have not, my mom on this podcast. True. You should do. It will be the Just number one rated podcast on my yeah with with evidence. So so so. <laughs> That's, get her drinking that. Get, get out the. She'll drink the rye. Yeah. She'll drink. Yeah, 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 no, yeah, only no. the best for my mother. Okay. She's a princess. Just in case she's listening. So, so we now have the capability of curating our life and publishing it in a way that only aristocracy used to have a few hundred years ago. Right. So there's, so there's, there's that. So what we're doing is nothing different than a certain group of people have always been doing over history. It's just more of us are doing it. Now, also, uh, when we when we look at body language, our brain is designed to look at it now. So I'm I'm looking at your body language now, and my brain is is totally gets it. You're alive. I'm alive. This is now in time. When our brain looks at pictures of people, it goes, oh yeah, that's happening now. 
but it's not. Right. <laughs> it happened a long time ago. Right. In some cases, it happened hundreds of years ago. Uh, it, we, it doesn't, the brain doesn't know that, or certainly our instinctual brain that's, right. that is reacting to the power, uh, the displays of power that uh, body language is displaying. I would say all body language is a response to a display of power or a display of power. Oh, Whether that's a lack of power or a, or a surfeit of power, it's all about showing this is the power I have or this is the power that I don't have. And, or, or it's a reaction to other people. Is there an evolutionary that. explanation for why yeah, we're for, all about power display? Yeah, for sure, because it would be important for you to make an approximation, have a good guess at how powerful other things are in your in your world. Right. And if you want to succeed in that world, it would be good to be able to project uh, an image that would cause people to behave how you'd like them to behave mm-hmm. in your favor, given the power you want to project. So all that to say that somebody puts a picture on Facebook and our instinct is triggered into perceiving the power and thinking it's happening now. Mm-hmm. But of course, there's another part of our brain that can go, yeah, but have they set that up? And uh, isn't that from a while ago? Or haven't I seen that image before? Or, <laughs> you know, I don't think that Lamborghini is theirs. Right. <laughs> you know, Or they look at my photos from five years and they say, his hair is a lot thinner now than in that picture. Right, right exactly. <laughs> so, so, but the instinct is still responding in an instinctual way. Right. And some conflicts can happen around that or, or the instinct can or conflicts don't happen and we totally think an image is about now when it's not about now so i guess all that to say is is modern uh technology can cause us to get quite confused right at an instinctual level right so so let's talk about this um as it pertains to the online world. Hmm. So in the book, um, you know, you, you talk about how verbal and nonverbal cues are important in many different aspects. If you're searching on LinkedIn, if you are online dating, um, you know, so if I wanted to convey power in a Tinder profile, would I put my hand in my shirt? (laughs) (laughs) Or would that attract a different sort of crowd? Meghan Markle. Yeah. But, uh, (laughs) but she's already, Right, she's you know, taken. She's taken now, so. <laughs> um, so what do people need to think about when they're putting forward, say, an application or their online persona when applying for a job? Um, because now it's not just the in-person. There's also people will look at your life online. What does that tell you about someone? Right. What do you need to think about? Yeah, so, so once they start looking at, you know, all of those images online, there's a lot of data Mm-hmm. And if the data doesn't make any sense, if they can't put it in a clear, uh, I guess, you know, pigeonhole, then they will default to a lot of negatives. Right. So the brain is a, is not a knowledge machine. It's a prediction machine. Mm-hmm. And, you know, all the time my brain is trying to predict things about you, predict things about this in this environment. And if it can't make a strong prediction, it doesn't need to make the right prediction. Right. It'll have to make a prediction. Yeah, it'll have a go. Yeah, it'll have a go. And if it if it's there going, I don't I don't get this, it's not an optimist. I don't look at Preet and go, I don't get what Preet's about. Well that's kind of quite good. No, it goes (laughs) it would go, I don't get what Preet's about right now. Uh oh, problem. And it might even catastrophize 
and go, right, I'm in really big trouble right now because I don't understand this image that's coming across to me. Mm-hmm. So there is a lot of chance for confusion mm-hmm. when people look at your overall presence, I guess, unless you've done something of a branding exercise. Okay. And isn't that potentially the point of a branding exercise? Yes. Is clarity of communication of image as as part of that to then say here's what you can predict you're going to get isn't that what brand does it's a promise of performance mm-hmm. and under some people's ideas of brand it's right. a promise of performance if you don't perform based on the promise that you gave people are disappointed if you perform and give more than the promise that was given people are delighted by your brand it's the same when they look at a profile look at that profile, look at the imagery and go, what do we think this promises in terms of performance? And can I live up to that? Right. Or will I disappoint? Is it confusing? Right. Because if it's confusing, they're not going to go, hey, this is really confusing. Let's call them in for an interview. (laughs) Well, also, (laughs) when it comes to online dating, um, a lot of people have complained that the pictures that they see posted to represent who you are, are what you look like right. are not representative of what you look like um, all the time or currently. Right. It's a very quick snapshot of like your perfect ideal self. Right. And then when you meet this person, let's say you go on this first date, then you see not only you're starting off from a perspective of being somewhat disappointed, I'm right. guessing. Now, how does body language play out on that first date? If you're coming from a place where you've um, this expectation is not met, do these cues, do they, um, are they more important? Are they less important? Are you already sort of set in your way saying, nope, I'm disappointed. There's nothing this person can do to turn this around. Sure. You can always turn things around. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can always change your first impression. Yeah. Uh, but there is a chance of disappointment. Right. That, hang on, I, I, was, I was engaged with the one image I saw. I was also engaged with the chat right. that went on. Yeah, there's that. But I was engaged with the one image, and now that hasn't shown up. There's disappointment. Mm-hmm. My my thoughts would be, you've got to go back to the chat. Mm-hmm. You've got to go back to that linguistic material that maybe engaged that person on an emotional and intellectual level, potentially, right. or maybe other levels as well. But uh, there can be some initial disappointment of that isn't a moving version of the moment in time which I got attracted to. (laughs) Now, what you also find is, is this idea of easy in, easy out, which is it's very easy to engage with those profiles in online dating. Right. And then when people go, hey, let's meet, suddenly people disappear. Right. Yeah. They ghost. They ghost. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, because because there is very little social uh, risk in online engagement. Nobody's watching. Right. Only the two people involved. And the NSA. And the NSA. <laughs> Obviously the NSA. Yeah. <laughs> they, you should be asking the NSA about this kind of thing, because they know way more than... They've got all the data. Right. <laughs> I, I, haven't got, I haven't got the data they've got. So <laughs> they've been watching everything. They must have some algorithms now. Right. And exactly what... Like, these are the profiles that do really well. So, so easy in, easy out. It was very easy to engage with somebody 
with that profile. And now it's very easy to disengage. It was low risk to be in. It's therefore low risk to get out. Very high risk to meet one-on-one because now other human beings are there. You're being tested properly, you know, uh, you know, 24 frames a second of a real life human being. Right. And there's a lot more to get wrong. So look, I mean, I mean, as a, as a, as a basic, uh, to be, to be, to make a good first impression, even if you might originally disappoint, open body language is the, is the key. Right. Open, more vulnerable. Let's, um, try whiskey number three. Yes. Um, and then I'm going to ask you, um, because this podcast is called mostly money, which means that, you know, for the most part we talk about money, but not always. And I want to bring this to, um, anytime you have someone who's dealing with some kind of advisor Mm. or a salesperson from both perspectives. So, you know, for a financial advisor who is meeting with a prospective client. What are the cues that they should pick up on? Because sometimes talking about money, you don't necessarily put all your cards on the table. Right, sure. Right? And then also from the client's perspective, who is looking at either hiring a new financial advisor um, or meeting with their current financial advisor, um, what are the cues and, and, and signals that they want to think about receiving and giving off as well? But first, let's go with uh, yeah, whiskey yeah. number three. So this is the Balvaney Ton 1509, very special edition. I mean, already on the nose, it's fantastic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, cognac. In fact, I wonder whether that's been in a cognac barrel or something has. Yeah, because there's 23 in, different yeah, so one of those has been spirits in, a, in there. One of those has been in a cognac barrel for sure. It does smell really nice. That's very good. I keep forgetting how good that that's is. That's very good. Yeah, um, if, you I can, brought if you this, can get that, you should get that. You've yeah. already got it, yeah. but, but yeah. I don't know whether you can get that anymore. I brought this to uh, the poker night mm. a week and a half ago, mm-hmm. um, which was really interesting. It survived, clearly. It did, yeah. So I, uh, for the listeners out there, I was invited to a poker game by uh, a mutual friend of mm. ours. And uh, I was under the impression that you were going to be attending, but I think you I couldn't, make it. couldn't make it in the yeah. end. Yeah. But what was really interesting is, as I was going there, I was like, is it wise to play poker against the body language expert? <laughs> well, you know. And then I found out that everyone there didn't know the first thing about poker. Yeah. And uh, they said that you weren't very good. No, I'm terrible. How does that make any sense? This was the, the, last, uh, the last kind of page of Truth and Lies is, is the poker page. Oh, really? <laughs> Basically, it kind of says, you know, no body language book would be complete without right. talking about poker tells, yeah. uh, which are the most romanticized element right. of of body language. Right. Yeah. I mean, if the guy, if the evil villain you're playing, his Absolutely. eye starts bleeding, that's his tell, yeah, right? Yeah. How are you going to, you know, you know, know the person is bluffing you or be able to bluff brilliantly? Anyway, what it says essentially is... Um, it doesn't really matter how good you are at body language. If you don't know the math, you're not going to win at poker. Yeah, I think You've that got to was know the math, the, uh, first of all. Now, I don't, yeah. and I'm not interested. Right. And most of the other guys around that poker table don't know the math either. Right. It's, it's an excuse to drink 
<laughs> and and turn up and have a banter yeah, together. Yeah. It was a fun time. It's a fun time. It's a fun time. Yeah, but if you wanted a really decent game of poker, you would never show up to that game. Right. Yeah. If you like eating Cheetos and drinking whiskey, yeah. which is basically, which is basically what, what, you, was. what yeah. it was, yeah. Cheeto eating and, and whiskey drinking. Oh, and, and 80s music. Yeah. And really good music, too. Really so good music. Of, I guess Roger was a DJ. Yeah. Anyways. Roger I used to be a DJ, by the way. Right. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. And like so, a really well known one. Yeah. So, yeah. anyway, so, so, um, so financial, yeah. So if you're, if you're there, you're giving advice to, to people. In fact, let's take it from this situation that we're in now, which I'll describe it. Sure. Which is because my guess is a lot of people are sitting down at tables just like we're at now and trying to engage a client. Yeah. Yeah. And so we're at a, a kind of a dining sized table. You know, it's about a, a, you know, a couple of heights of a, of a, Smallish human being, long, <laughs> preach, you know, maybe 10 feet away from me or something like yeah. that. Yeah. And, um, and here I am trying to win you as a client. And I'm going to give you a few versions of, my, of myself. What people tend to do when they're around tables is, first of all, get all their stuff and bring it in close to them, mm-hmm. like I'm doing doing now so I'm you know bringing my book in close and I've got my glass of water and my glasses of whiskey you shouldn't really show up to the meeting with four (laughs) glasses of whiskey by the way but but anyway they they get up close and they tuck themselves into the table uh like this and actually the 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 listeners will probably be able to hear a difference in my tone of voice right now but just give me a sense of this person here if I would uh get you thinking about investing money with me or, or, or me taking care of your money on a scale of zero to 10, zero being least 10 being most, where do I sit for you in terms of how much you trust me with your money right now? Yeah. Uh, it's pretty low on that scale. Yeah. Like there's, there's something like that you're giving off that's you're very secretive. Right. Um, everything is, you're kind of like playing your cards close to your chest. Right. And you're not open, but I'm not, I'm not sitting abnormally for how people might sit at a, a, a table, but if I ask you about, hey, do you trust me? Yeah, you instantly go, no, not, not really. Now, what if I say to you, hey, you know, pre, you can trust me. Uh, you know, I have a really good track record with looking after people's money. Is that helpful at all? Does me telling you and saying my track record and asking you to trust me is it helping the trust at all? I don't know. My perspective is skewed because this is my world. Right. right. So I'm overthinking it. Right. The one thing I noticed that your your intonation was a little bit different. Right. It seemed a little bit warm than than before the previous example that right. you were giving. But still at this point, but, I'm not right. there. So me give, using words to go, hey, trust me, isn't making any difference. Let me try this. What I'm going to do now is just move the objects away from me. That's because I'm going to show you that I own more territory that I take more space <laughs> and I'm going to bring myself a hand span away from the table and I'm going to do open palm gestures at exactly navel height and talk to you now. Yeah. And now on a scale from zero to 10, zero being least 10 being most, if I were to ask you, you know, to consider me looking after your money, where are you now in terms of trust? Yeah. Way higher. Right. Way higher. Right. I don't know if it's the whiskey, but I, <laughs> you, don't, you haven't drunk any more whiskey. No. So we haven't drunk any more. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now, if I'm to say to you, uh, so I'm, I'm not even going to ask for your trust. I'm going to actually say, look, sometimes 
mistakes might be made, okay? But I'm here to help you. Yeah, I'm here to help you. Yeah, so I'm pretty new to this as well, but I'm going to help you. I like the tone. Right, so like you, like, tone. you like the tone. Yeah. I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to tell you I'm pretty new to it. I'm going to bring my glasses in close and my book in close. And I'm going to sit how most people are going to sit at the table. I'm going to tell you that I'm pretty new to this, but I'm going to help you. Right. And I, I would like you to invest your money with me. Where yeah. do I sit with trust for you? No, it's not there. I right. mean, it's, it's hard to convey unless you're seeing this. I think people can also hear a difference. Yeah. But when you actually see the difference in your body language and where you're sitting from the table and how open you are compared to when you're sitting there sort of stiff, like I honestly felt like I felt myself smiling more. Right. Um, when you were open. Yeah. Yeah. It was yeah. interesting. So, so you've got to understand that you end up mirroring me. Right. Yeah. Your, what you're trying to do is get theory of mind. Your brain is a prediction machine, not a knowledge machine. And it wants to predict Mark. And it makes its predictions about Mark by copying my body yeah. and my environment internally. And then going, if I was like Mark, how would I feel? And then it takes that feeling and it projects it on me and goes, Mark is... Mm-hmm. So this body that I'm using right now is the body of somebody confident. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that can be trusted. And the reason is, is I'm showing you that there are no predators in the room. <laughs> <laughs> this is the signal for no predators. Open palm gestures. Yeah, showing you no tools, no weapons. Open at this navel area here, mm-hmm. this belly area. And that exposed, so I'm not hiding it behind the table. I've brought it back of about a hand span from the table so you can clearly see it. Mm-hmm. So again, I'm exposed. I'm open around the, the torso area and underneath the arms. Again, I'm exposed. Mm-hmm. So when I ask you to trust me, it, it has the image of trust and you filter what I say and you, it, it, in terms of that frame of trust. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And it's weird. As you were doing that and as you were opening up, showing more territory and being vulnerable, vulnerable. Mm. it's a whiskey kiss kicking yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. Wow, it's really <laughs> kicking in. Um, I felt myself kind of open my neck up to you. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. know if you saw that. Yeah, but for sure. Yeah, I don't know yeah. what's going on here. Yeah. So let me, let me, let me just see how, how quickly... I can change your feelings uh, about me. So now what I've done is I've just uh, put my hands across my body and kind of tightened them up, you know, between my legs. So I'm actually being very protective of my torso area. And do you feel your body changing now? To I feel like I'm sinking. I feel like my energy is going down. Right. Yeah. Oh, let me try this with you. Uh, So we're on our... Um, we're, we're moving towards the, the berries yes. whiskey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, you know that, that whiskey. Mm-hmm. And, um, but how optimistic are you at the moment around how good that experience of the whiskey is, is, is going to be? Well, right now, based yeah. on your body language, yeah. I'm thinking that we've plateaued. Right. Right. Now, I'm now going to open my body language. It's yeah. so cool. I know. And I'm going to say to you, you know that that whiskey. How optimistic are you right now about how good that whiskey is going to be? Oh, 
10 out of 10. <laughs> right. <laughs> so what you've got to understand is you already have data around the quality of that whiskey. Yeah. But look how easy it is for me to influence mm-hmm. the way you're viewing that and the story that you might tell me and you might tell others right. about this. And, and essentially that's the work that I do right. is by putting the right frame around something, you can distort or enhance somebody's sense of what the thing is. Okay, so do people get intimidated when they talk to you knowing that you're a body language expert and they feel that you are analyzing them all the time like I feel right now? Yeah, so so, <laughs> so I often show up at events and parties and people go, oh, you know, uh, gosh, I'm really self-conscious now. Yeah. Um, and my usual, you know, reply to that is, well, don't be because I'm not working right now. It's not, you're not paying me anything. So, so look, the, the thing is, what we need to understand is, in order to uh, re- get a really good read on what somebody might be feeling and intending through their behaviour, what, what we're trying to do as body language professionals is do some cognitive thinking around that rather than some gut-level instinctual thinking. Right. Everybody thinks they're very good at reading other people at a gut level. Right. And they either are or are not, mm-hmm. or mostly stuff in between. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we all make predictions about people around us. We make snap judgments and our snap judgments about them are either right or wrong or something in between. However, they always feel very right. Right. And so we remember the times when it felt right and it turned out to be right. We suddenly go, I'm brilliant. I'm a brilliant <laughs> reader. Of, aren't I fantastic? I'm almost superhuman. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's the times when we get a read of somebody and it turns out to be very, very wrong. And we go, oh, I, ju- I just don't know people anymore. It's like, I've, I've, I just don't understand it. And then we tend to go, it was, it was them. They're just an odd one. Right. You know? And we forget all the stuff in between. Yeah? So our, our instinctual reading of body language is defaulted to the negative. It's there to protect us. Mm-hmm. It's not there to get stuff right. It's there to keep us safe. And to keep us safe, we don't need to be accurate in our instinctual readings. Right. We need to be biased towards um, moving away from risk and moving, and, and secondary, moving towards reward, but most important, moving away from risk. Right. Now, what, what we do in the world of the body language professional, where this might be used only in places where it would be uh, of great, uh, you know, it would pay a dividend to understand more clearly what somebody's thinking and feeling or intending, is we suspend our judgment about the behavior that we saw, and we start a critical thinking process Mm -hmm. around trying to reassess what is it that they're really thinking and intending? Can we get closer to the truth? We can go back to our judgment because it could be accurate, but we want to spend some time getting closer to the truth. And that's the thing. We're going to have to spend some time doing it. Though the better you get at it, the quicker you can do it. Right. So this idea, um, evolutionarily speaking, uh, of having a false positive bias as opposed to a false negative bias is there to protect us. Yeah. Because if you heard a rustling in a bush beside you, and you had a false positive and said, oh, maybe it's a saber-toothed tiger. You'd right. run away. Right. And if it was just the wind 
And that's a false positive, but it kept you alive. You're still you alive. silly, but you were alive. Right. As opposed to a false negative, which is, uh, all right, you hear this wind and, oh, maybe it is the wind. Right. Or you hear this noise and maybe it's the wind and you think, oh, it's nothing. Right. right. So it's a negative. It's a false negative. And then, no, it was actually a saber-toothed tiger. Right. So this is hardwired to keep us alive. The instinctual um, positive uh, instinct has been eradicated from the gene pool. It got killed. Way early on. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because it's just obvious that, that yes, now and again, the instinctual positive will come up trumps and find gold. But on the whole, no, it's not because it's a world full of predators. Right. It's a world full of risk. Right. Yeah. 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 Sure. There's a world full of opportunity, but the risk will kill you and the the opportunity won't. Right. (laughs) So... So now it's not to say that some people don't at a social level or intellectual level have the ability to be, uh, to see more opportunity. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But at a gut instinctual level, no, that will be eradicated from the gene pool. Now there's, there are some moments in life where that isn't so true and that will tend to happen as a, as a general rule, as a generalization in males between the ages of maybe 13, 14 to about 27, when <laughs> testosterone levels go much higher for that male and many other females yeah, around that time. And insurance companies know this. So uh, if you're trying to get motor insurance yeah. between and, and you're a male and you're between those ages, you will pay a lot more because... One of the things that testosterone does is to say to your brain, there's not as much risk as we think. <laughs> and it causes you to go, I think I can make it. Right. <laughs> now, some do and some don't. Right. And those that don't get eradicated from the gene pool. <laughs> and those that do, yeah, they might, you know, back in the day, they would have laurel wreaths put around them and, and a bard right. would make up a, a song about them and they would be hailed because they may be moved into new territory. Right. They won new land and new opportunity, but you don't need many of them. You're, you're kind of going, most of these will get eradicated from the gene pool. We don't need many males <laughs> at, a, at, a, at a survival right. level. Yeah. We don't need a, a lot of males. Interesting. Um, okay, is it time for it's whiskey time number for the, four for the, for the berries, which I, I, I snuck in a little, <laughs> a little taste already on the nose. Like it is so superior on the nose, so superior. It oh, God, like yeah. they're they're like a lot fruity, fruity, and 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 that that kind of sense of a, of a gentleman smoking a pipe in. <laughs> in a study somewhere. It does have a very refined taste to it. Like it gives you that feeling. It's a, like, it is so balanced. <laughs> right. It? It, it is, is so balanced. My number one. That yeah. is my number one. Because that, is that cask str- strength? Uh, I don't I mean, believe I'm gonna, so. I'm going to move over just to, yep. just to see. I'm thinking it's 40, 43. It's 46. 46. Okay. So yeah. a little bit higher than yeah, normal. Yeah, a little bit little bit higher but i've got to say at a 46 i would expect to want to put water in it to just take take the edge <laughs> off the alcohol yeah. and release some of the flavors i don't need any in this yeah no it's a beautiful it's so well balanced if listeners are salivating right now um, you probably can't get this <laughs> <laughs> um if you're in calgary you oh, yeah? go to the kensington wine market okay and this is the berries it's a 40-year blend and it is out of this world 
absolutely out of this. If world. you can buy this, you should you should buy this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's extraordinary. It's fantastic because the smoke on it is. I like a really smoky whiskey. Yeah, I, I really enjoy that that smoky peaty that kind of sense of you know I've I've walked into you know a cottage in Scotland and somebody has had that fire on. Yeah, and it you know, but this has a refined smoke. Yeah, to it's it. not There's overpowering. A tobacco kind of yeah. sense to it. Yeah. That's really good. Thank you for this. This is superb. Slangeva. Mm. So where were we? Jeez, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I for- totally forget. Um, we were talking about... <laughs> we, were, we were talking about... This whiskey just threw us for yeah, such a loop. Yeah, it has thrown us for a total loop, Totally hasn't took it? us into a different world yeah. there for a second. Yeah, it is. It's transformative. <laughs> it's, it's All right, well, let's totally, let's move on to the next yeah, question sure, then. Yeah, sure. Um, so what I want to talk about now is um, staying on the theme of money, uh, but talking about couples, mm. uh, people who are in relationships, and the body language when it comes to financial communication um, at various stages. So let's say yeah. you're starting a relationship with someone. At some point, you're going to have, hopefully, the talk about money. Right. And a lot of people are going to want to hide the fact that they um, have maybe done something financially that are irresponsible. Yeah. Other people are going to want to try and find out that information about right. a potential right. life mate. Um, and this is becoming a thing where I've heard stories of people online dating and when they say what their criteria is, you know, they got to be certain height, certain age, certain education and a certain uh, credit score. Um, <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah. This wow. actually happens because people are like, I don't want to fall in love with someone who's, you know, indebted and, right. you know, I'm going to, you know, marry into this life where this person is financially irresponsible. Right. So when it comes to body language within couples, is it a different ball game because you spend so much time with them, you subconsciously develop this inventory of all their tells or all their signals over time because that's the process of getting to know someone? How does that work when you know someone versus when you don't know someone in terms of body language? Yeah, so so my experience of this is, and you know, I spend most of my life studying body language, is it still difficult for me to tell with my partner, Tracy, who, who wrote the book with me, it's still yeah. very difficult for us to tell uh, exactly what the other is thinking. It always feels, it continually feels like you know, and you continually get proved wrong. So, you know, if, if anything, from an expert in body language, you know, to everybody out there, the moment you really feel like, you know, you've, you've got that person, you have them down, you totally understand them. Believe me, you have no idea. <laughs> you have no idea whatsoever. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It's just so much more complex. Mm-hmm. Remember that, that, uh, that instinct is not trying to have a long-term relationship. It's trying to keep you safe right now. Right. It's not trying to have a long-term relationship with somebody. It doesn't understand money. Has no idea what you're having a conversation about. Your instinct has no idea what is being talked about. It doesn't even have language. Right. Yeah? It doesn't understand words. It's not attached to the Brockus area. It has no memory 
of this person. It's only dealing with them now. Mm-hmm. And the moment it sees, for example, you're having this conversation about money, and the moment it sees confusing behavior, and there's all kinds of reasons in a, in a, in a conversation about money where behavior might get confusing. Because some money conversations can get quite confusing. Sure. It's pretty confusing stuff. Yeah. Yeah. The Especially moment- a lot of people don't even know what they want because they don't sit down and really think about it. Right. A lot of people think in terms of monthly payments. Right. Right. They think about the here and now. Like um, an example I, I often give to people is, you know, trying to explain why car loans have gotten so long, even though interest rates are at an all time low. Right. It's because when you walk onto, you know, a car dealership lot, your salesperson is going to ask you two questions, which is your ideal car on the lot and how much are you looking to spend per month? Right. And then based on that, they will figure out how long the loan needs to be. Right. And what you should be doing is you should be thinking about the long term. Well, do I want a seven or eight year car loan? Um, and obviously, I hope the answer is obviously no, you don't. But people think about, can I make it work in the here and now? Because they're acting on instinct with money, and money is a long-term trade-off game. Right. And so I can't do it. I'm, I'm, I'm relatively intelligent, and I can't work out the math of, as to whether you buy a car or you, you, you know, hire a, what do you call it? The, the, when a you Uber? do monthly Oh, a lease. 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 Yeah. Yeah. I can't work out the math on on that. It's mm-hmm. confusing. Right. It's very confusing. So you get into these conversations, they can become confusing. Right. You start to see the confusion in the person, but your brain doesn't go, hey, confused. That's kind of good. It goes, hey, I don't understand what's going on there. I bet they're hiding something. Right. Be prepared that they're hiding something. Be prepared that they're hiding something that will ultimately be your demise. <laughs> <laughs> and so you start to ask questions. And you start to do an interrogation and they start to respond to the interrogation. Right. And they start to go, well, and so they get uncomfortable. Now, ultimately, ultimately what you, what you need here, and, and this is, you know, I'm not here as a, as a, as a plant to, to say, you know, get financial advice. (laughs) But ultimately, if you can have a third party in there who can go, who can pass that information who can suspend their judgment about the behaviors that are going on in both parties and try and simplify what's being said and explain what's being said you can probably as a partnership get to a better result than looking in each other's eyes and and constantly going i bet you're hiding something (laughs) because that's undoubtedly going to happen with the confusion around money money's a confusing thing yeah it's like that dollar bill when you have it in your hand, that's not something you have. That's a note of debt. Mm-hmm. Like the moment you you understand that, suddenly money becomes a lot more confusing. Right. That yeah. like, no, that's not something I have. That's something that is owed. <laughs> that's an IOU. <laughs> yeah. Who do I owe it to? Yeah. I thought it was mine. Right. I got it out the bank. Yeah. I thought I had no. That, that's a that's a debt. Um last thing I want to talk to you about. Um is that I know that um, you can't name names, I don't sure. think, but I know that you do some really cool work uh, with heads of state mm. around the world. For sure. Um, preparing thing, things for like, you know, um, if they're about to campaign, they need a stump speech. They need yep. to present a certain image. Yep. If they are about to enter into a debate because yep. there's an election coming up, you work with people all around the world. For sure. And 
people that if I named them, they would know. Like the listeners would know exactly who these people are. Yeah, if you look at the the techniques that I train people in in uh, from my book, Winning Body Language, there, and you look at some heads of state, you'll yeah. go, oh yeah. One of Mark's. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, for people who have never heard of Mark before, you're kind of a really big deal. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm known. Totally. Yeah. Probably the most I'm modest known. guy I've ever met in my life. <laughs> the most modest. Um, <laughs> um, can you share any stories without naming sure, names sure, sure, sure. about some of the work that you do um, with these, these global leaders? Like, have you ever been called in to say, Hey, listen, um, we're facing a coup here. Do you think you could come in and <laughs> uh, tell us how to quell the masses? Like, what what are some of the interesting stories that you can talk about? Well, the ones that I can talk about, uh, and, and I guess they're a little more mundane, um, <laughs> but not really. I mean, it is an exciting, it is an interesting world because it, because it is the, that world whereby you're trying to influence and persuade large groups of people and nudge them towards voting one way rather than another way. Yeah. And there's there's a lot of um strategy involved in that that isn't necessarily what people would think it is. It isn't about so for example, it isn't about producing a candidate or an incumbent who is the most liked. That is so you know often uh, party faithful will come to me and go, I, I hate what you've done with, you know, leader X, the prime minister or whatever. And I literally go, I don't care. I don't care because you'd vote. If we put a, a, a tub of butter there, you'd still vote for it because you are faithful to your party. You're not voting for a leader. We could take their leader, put their leader as your leader, and you'd now vote for that leader. It's not about, they are they are aligned to their party, right? essentially. So we don't care about them. They're voting for that party, whatever. Mm-hmm. doesn't matter. What we're interested in is who doesn't know right now, and then a specific of who doesn't know. Who doesn't know, and they're in the part of the land where it would kick the vote right. in the right way. Because, for example, in Canada, just an ex- an, uh, as an example of democracy, uh, it's a first-past-the-post system. You've got roughly three parties that really make any difference, maybe maybe four, but probably just three. And, and you can win being prime minister on, I think, 30... Well, the last three times there's been an election, it's been, I think, uh, 34.5%. Okay. So most people didn't vote for that leader. Right. The last three times. Yeah, it doesn't matter which one you've gone, I hate that one, I love that one. The majority of people didn't vote for them. But the system gets them in, and you want in that system to nudge a certain group of people who actually have the power to win the election to voting for you. Or you create new voters, or you can suppress voters. Right. This, you know, kind of three ways, yeah? <laughs> Nudge them over, win new ones, create new ones, suppress ones that have always right. been yeah. around. Now, what you've got to do is you've got to ask them, what would you need to see as a leader? What behavior would you need to see to know that's the one I'm voting for? And once you've got that data, that's the only thing you start transmitting. 
mm-hmm. and you do it 24-7 and you never let the newspapers or the media get any other picture than that <laughs> picture. So I start working with the person going, this is the only image you're going to show. You're only going to show this gesture. They're only going to see that gesture because you never do any other gestures. And so you start to build this consistent idea just for those people who really matter. So they'll put the vote in the right place and your person will win. Very interesting. So you probably have some really awesome stories that we'll talk about when I turn off the record button. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, listeners. Um, There's nothing I can give you about coup d'etats in Africa. And... uh, (laughs) But I'll hear all about it. Um, All right. Uh, Mark, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your expertise. Every guest who comes on the podcast, they get a minute, two minutes to uh, basically put out a commercial Mm. for whatever you want. And I know that you've just, like hot off the presses, you have your new book, Truth and Lies. And why don't you tell people about the book, um, what they can expect if they buy the book, what they're going to learn. The floor is yours. Take as long as you want. Oh, I'm going to pour myself some more. Thank you. Yeah, go get yourself a whiskey. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, Truth and Lies, What People Are Really Thinking, written by myself, Mark Bowden, and Tracy Thompson. What it is, is a a myth-busting... <laughs> the cork box. The cork going... Uh, a myth-busting guide to body language and how to read it using critical thinking. In fact, I would say it's actually a book on critical thinking disguised as a book on body language. So it's about how do you think more cleverly, more critically about people and win back for yourself some kind of power in getting closer to the truth about people and closer potentially to some of the lies that are told, but actually closer to some of the lies that you tell yourself about other people as well. So I hope that makes sense to you. If it doesn't, take a look at the book anyway. It's a great, great book. It's it's a very Canadian book, by the way, because it's the the first book on body language which truly has something more of a diverse voice in there. Uh, in fact, I was having a great chat this morning with my friend uh, Eddie Robinson, uh, First Nations Ojibwe uh, from uh, Ontario, and uh, he's a contributor. We've got contributors from all over the world, from many different countries, trying to help us understand what's the real truth about the differences in body language, where we go in different cultures, different areas of the world, and what are some of the myths and lies around that as well. Fantastic. Um, <clears throat> I was uh, enthralled by your commercial, but really I was... <laughs> you were uh, more in, enthralled by the Barry Brothers. Yeah, and yeah. so I poured you some more as yeah, well. So it, we're going to continue was- drinking that. And um, I want to say thank you again, Mark, for coming on the podcast. Um, as, a, as a last note, do you want to uh, share where people can find you online, like your Twitter account oh, yeah. or Facebook or your website, if they want to find out more? Yeah, it's really easy. So all you think of is... The word truth plane, T-R-U-T-H-P-L-A-N-E, truth plane, which is a technique of mine, which I named the company after. Just put truth plane into that Google machine and I will be all over you (laughs) like a rash and not a good one. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it looks like my throat is about to give up anyway. So we're going to we're going to call it there. Um, but, uh, the last thing I'll say is that, uh, I alluded to this at the beginning, 
you're one of the most in-demand keynote speakers that I know. Um, so if anyone here is uh, working for an organization that's looking to have someone come in and talk to them about anything to do with body language, which you don't have to be in a sales function. It could be you know a meeting uh, at work that you're part of a regular group. Maybe it is sales or what have you, communicating to other employees. I know that a lot of people hire you to help them brush up, learn new skills, be more effective in their careers. And I am a huge fan of Mr. Bowden. So thank you very much for coming on the show. And to my faithful listeners, um, that's it for this week. Thank you very much for tuning in. If you enjoyed listening to the podcast, I really do appreciate you taking a few seconds to give it a rating on iTunes. I also love reading your comments. So please send those in as well. And that's it. So until next time, we'll see you.